Hello, and welcome to the Academy Securities Geopolitical and Macro Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson, and today's date is April 23rd, 2019. Today, we are discussing the Trump administration's decision not to provide waivers to countries wishing to purchase Iranian oil. We have Brigadier General Tony Tata, Peter Chur, and Rachel Washburn contributing to this conversation, discussing the threat of Iran shutting down the Straits of Hormuz, as well as their cyber capability. We also have a special segment at the end, where Academy Securities CEO Chance Mims shares his applicable experience as a naval officer that dealt with these geopolitical threats in real-world scenarios. But first, our panel discusses the current events taking place regarding sanctions against Iranian oil. General Tata, can you discuss the Trump administration's decision to no longer offer waivers to countries that wish to buy Iranian oil? How is this going to impact our partners and allies that do consume Iranian oil? And how is Iran going to move forward if and when these sanctions take effect? Uh, You know, the the Trump Trump administration decision to... um, not allow waivers to the sanctions, uh, I believe, is a good one in that it increases pressure on the uh, known number one sponsor, state sponsor of terrorism uh, around the globe. Um, and, and they're starting to creep into Venezuela, uh, definitely uh, surrounding uh, Israel with Hezbollah in the north and Hamas in the south and, and uh, working its way through Syria and Turkey as well. Uh, so the, the, the decision is a good one. Uh, the impact on uh, countries around the world that, that had exceptions or waivers uh, to the sanctions, of course, means uh, it's a bottom line supply and demand. Uh, if you look less supply, um, more demand, uh, prices will go up. Uh, you know, so that's the um, consequence of this uh, foreign policy decision and what Iran's actions will be uh, will be to try to smuggle uh, and will try to do things uh, with China and North Korea and other actors that uh, like to uh, operate in the in the seams of the black market Turkey and and to see if they if Iran can't uh, continue to at least uh, get some foreign exchange going so that they can uh, continue to fund terrorism. Uh, it's it's interesting that when you think about all of the social issues that Iran faces, uh, that uh, a good chunk of that money that was unfrozen by President Obama uh, and his administration, uh, that money went directly to Hamas and Hezbollah. I was just in Israel for the past week, uh, last week, and uh, walked into uh, tunnels dug by uh, Hamas uh, terrorists and uh, Hezbollah terrorists in the um, Gaza Strip and the Golan Heights, respectively. And uh, there are many tunnels that uh, since in the last three years have been have been dug with new excavating equipment and that kind of thing that uh, the organizations have been able to fund. Uh, with uh, this money from the Iran deal. So uh, shutting it down uh, is is a good thing. Uh, our number one ally in the region, uh, Israel, uh, is uh, 
reaping some benefit now of of the new sanctions uh, because uh, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia all see the threat that Iran poses, and and they have um, an alliance. Israel has an alliance with these countries that is not uh, publicized, but it's certainly one that is there that has grown in the last few years um, out of a necessity because of the cash infusion that Iran got. And uh, as as we think about what their next steps are other than black market trading, uh, I would think that uh, challenging the Straits of Hormuz um, uh, would be something that they, they may try. They've done it in the past uh, when when uh, we get a carrier strike group in there, uh, it, it doesn't amount to a whole lot uh, uh, because it, uh, we, the U.S. Navy can uh, put them back on their heels pretty quickly. But that doesn't mean they won't try to do that and challenge merchant ships and, and challenge the, the straits there, which is the most narrow point coming out of the Persian Gulf. General, do we not see some risk, though, of pushing now countries like Turkey and China away from us. You know, we're in the middle of trying to negotiate a trade deal with China. Shutting them off from the waiver would seem to hurt those potential negotiations. And Turkey already seems to be pulling away from us, pulling away from NATO. Could this hasten that at all? Yeah, you know, Peter, I, I think that's a, that's a fair point. It's one, though, I think in the calculus of doing diplomatic r- relations, um, you, you have to pick the greater good or the lesser evil, um, however however we want to look at it. And uh, bringing Iran to its heels is is a uh, better option than, um, you know, a hiccup in, a, in the trade negotiations. And, and, the, and it could be, particularly with China, it could be a sticking point, and it's something that uh, they're going to have to work through. Um, similarly with Turkey, uh, I think this administration – um, is is right rightfully going after um, Iran to um, try to uh, a stabilize Israel and b um, shut down as much um, uh, of its terrorist funding around the world uh, because one thing's for sure it's it's um, Iran does very little. Um, infrastructure and social um, welfare looking out for its people and development uh, and does a lot of trying to destroy Israel. And so any, you know, 80 cents on a dollar going into Iran is going to fund terrorism. So that, you know, from my point of view, the the greater good here is to try to shut down um, Iran. Sir, can you discuss the more technical aspects of Iran's threat to shut down the Straits of Hormuz? How would they go about doing that? Importantly, what is the United States' reaction if they continue with these threats? We've seen some increased naval presence in the Mediterranean. Do you see that as posturing in response to Iran's threats to shut down the Straits? Yeah, I I do. I think Iran is provocative, and I think... um, um, you know, we've we've given them a, a one, two, three punch with uh, the cancellation of the deal, the imposition of sanctions, and then the tightening of sanctions. Um, and, and so I, I think uh, just from a regional 
uh, standpoint, uh, they realize that they, they have to at least flex their muscle. And let's face it, Iran is uh, all, all but owns Iraq now. Um, and they've got uh, significant forces in Syria. Uh, the only thing preventing a land bridge through Syria um, from Iran is the, the, the Kurds and, and uh, the American forces over there. Um, and, and so when, when you think about uh, what, what uh, Iran's uh, sort of dilemma is here, they've quietly become the regional uh, hegemonic power there. Uh, because Iran, Iraq is really just a proxy for Iran with its Shia government now. And so as they think about positioning to do their number one foreign policy goal, which is to destroy Israel, uh, they've got uh, significant forces in Hamas in the south, significant forces with Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, uh, along the Golan Heights and Galilee. And, and then, of course, there's uh, funding for the Palestinians uh, along the West Bank. And so they, uh, Iran has to do a calculation of, do they continue to fly under the radar as much as, as they could? Uh, they certainly did that under the Obama administration. And now, um, you know, they've, they've kind of got their set uh, and prepared with, you know, thousands and thousands of rockets to, ready to attack Israel, um, as well as tunnels they've dug, um, many of which have been found. There's no way to tell if you found them all. And then whether or not they pivot into the Straits of Hormuz and the um, Persian Gulf and, and uh, you know, try to be a bee in the bonnet of, of the uh, oil flow coming out of there, uh, that could raise awareness to their strength throughout the region uh, worldwide. And, and that's the real question that I think Iran is, is, is uh, you know, thinking about right now is, hey, we've got it pretty good. We've been able to get all this money and get our set militarily throughout the Middle East. Uh, we're leaning forward uh, just about everywhere we want to on um, – Israel, we know we've got an alliance now forming against us. Um, how much do we turn around and look the other way now and, and in the other direction, not the other way, but in the other direction and look at the Persian Gulf and, and try to take on what we know is a losing battle there, uh, with regard to, uh, shutting down the, the straits. And, and so I, I think there's some, uh, brinksmanship that they'll go through, but at the end of the day, I think that they prefer their posture and being able to attack and destroy Israel, which is their goal, uh, versus being uh, sort of a, a disruptor in the Persian Gulf, a fight that they've tried many times before in the past, and, and they've had some Pyrrhic victories by capturing Navy sailor, U.S. Navy sailors, um, uh, and, you know, getting a pallet of cash for that and, and so forth. But um, at the end of the day, I, I think they will, will choose their strategic positioning in the region over uh, picking a fight they know they can't win. General, is there any chance that they escalate their cyber activities? You know, we talk a lot about cyber here 
and Iran shows up as a state-sponsored cyber entity quite often. Is that maybe a way that they could retaliate through cyber attacks or increasing cyber attacks, or is that something they might want to avoid for now? No, I think, Peter, you've got a good point there. I, I, I definitely think in the cyber domain of warfare will will stay consistent or ramp up uh, as they look at how they apply their own elements of national power. Um, diplomacy, they're not very good at. Uh, they choose not to be diplomatic. Um, information, which, you know, includes um, the cyber domain, uh, they're, they're very good at. Uh, and then the military, they're, they're very strong at. And economic, uh, they're getting squeezed pretty hard. They have no, uh, the only economic power they have is what the money that we gave them and unfroze for them that they're now leveraging militarily. So uh, I, I think the cyber domain is one that we can expect to see disruption and, and potentially even within the Persian Gulf of ships. Uh, you know, I, I just got back from Israel and I've, I've, I've had my, um, you know, Mac uh, cleaned up uh, because I know, I know what goes on over there and, uh, you know, I made the mistake of taking my my computer. So um, it, it is a pretty um, dense cyber uh, warfare domain over there, and and everything and anything is suspect to be an attack uh, by you know any number of countries. So I, I think that uh, that's an excellent point, and that Iran will uh, not on, not only in in that region, but wherever they have. Um, agents or or operators uh, the ability to um, impact U.S. information operations uh, and and coalition information operations, they'll, they'll certainly do so. Are we as well prepared to combat them on the cyber front? Because it sounds like from what you said, it's highly unlikely that they really go after the Strait of Hormuz, and if they do, it would be unlikely to be anything more than a Pyrrhic victory. Will we be able to retaliate and stop them on cyber, or how far would we take it if they do that, or is that kind of an unknown right now? Well, it's something we don't do a lot of talking about. Uh, one of the things that uh, we, the U.S., are pretty decent at is defensive cyber, uh, protecting our systems. Uh, offensive cyber is, you know, a policy debate, first and foremost, whether or not that's something that as a nation um, that we want to do, choose to do, um, think is the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, that, that includes all the way down to sort of the unclass um, uh, use of social media to try to do influence operations and so forth, all the way up to highly sophisticated uh, directed uh, energy types of attacks. Uh, and, and everything in between. And, and so uh, we can defend against those things pretty well, and how much we can counterattack in that domain is uh, pretty highly classified. General Tata, one other question we had was, what repercussions could you see taken by countries like Syria or Turkey or Russia in support of Iran that might hurt the United States longer term? The connection between Iran, uh, Turkey, and Russia is one that sort of centers around Syria. Uh, Syria is a basket case right now 
it's had a massive brain drain of any kind of uh, talent that it had from a human capital standpoint from Damascus into Western Europe for the most part. And, and now it's Assad, his Alawite regime. Uh, the Alawites are a form of Shia. Uh, that connects them to Iran. Uh, Iran, um, likes, uh, Assad because he give they, Assad gives Iran access, uh, to, uh, the Golan Heights and, and, uh, Lebanon and, and, you know, Hezbollah is an extension of, of Iran. And, and so all of that is, um, a, seen as a portal to achieve their number one strategic aim of destroying in, uh, Israel. Uh, the connective tissue with Russia is that, uh, Russia needs, wants a Mediterranean warm water port, um, in Syria. And so they've, they've got that. They've got the, uh, air defense that they provide for Syria and, uh, you know, they, they turn somewhat of a blind eye to Iran's machinations, uh, and with Hezbollah, uh, Russia's strategic aims are very different. They don't, uh, necessarily have a bone to pick with Israel and in some cases are somewhat supportive. Um, and, and so that it is purely realist politics. Uh, Russia's aim is to have a warm order port. Uh, and, and, uh, place to launch some fighter jets around the, uh, you know, NATO southern flank. Uh, and, um, Iran wants to be, uh, in, on top on the northern flank of, of Israel. Uh, Turkey, their connective tissue is simply because they're there. Uh, Erdogan and, and his, uh, government is, is, uh, you know, lucky to get out of its own way. Uh, they've got Kurds in the, uh, southeast of the country. Uh, they've got, uh, the ISIS that had been fighting along the border. Uh, they had, um, millions of migrants come through there. They still have millions of migrants in Turkey. They threaten the EU to open the floodgates every now and then, uh, you know, in, into the sort of the, uh, southeast part of uh, Europe. And, and flow into Western Europe. And, and so Turkey is a member of NATO. They try to be our friend. They try to be Russia's friend. They try to be Iran's friend. None of that works. And Turkey's just being used, uh, in large part for its strategic positioning, uh, between, uh, Southwest Asia and Europe. Uh, so that, that's sort of my, my read of that that geopolitical landscape. Thank you, General Tata, Peter, and Rachel. Today we spoke about the threat of Iran closing or interfering with transportation through the Straits of Hormuz. General Tata said the United States Navy could defuse the situation relatively quickly and is well equipped to do so. We have Academy Securities founder and CEO Chance Mims on the podcast today to share his experience as a Naval Surface Warfare Officer. During his service in the Navy, Chance deployed to the Straits of Hormuz and was at the tip of the spear if we had to disarm Iran's capability to impede traffic through the Straits. Chance, could you tell us more about your experience 
how it differed from generations before your service in 2001, and even how the United States Navy's capability looks like today. So my first job out of the Naval Academy was a division officer on a mine countermeasure ship, uh, the MCM-3, an Avenger-class mine hunter. A 224-foot-long ship uh, with sonar, radar, mine sweeping, and mine hunting gear. Uh, the U.S. Navy has some of the best in class, best in the world, mine sweeping and mine hunting assets, uh, including um, 11 of these MCMs, the Avenger class mine hunters. Uh, we also have uh, the Navy Explosive Ordnance Disposal Divers, uh, EOD, uh, some of the brave sailors who go down and dismantle these sea mines underwater. Uh, additionally, we have the MH-53 Echo Sea Dragon, which is a helicopter that's has airborne mine countermeasure system. Uh, which tows mine hunting and mine sweeping systems, including the Mach 105 magnetic mine sweeping sled, uh, the AQS 14 Alpha side scan sonar, the Mach 103 mechanical mine sweeping system. Um, additionally, we have the U.S. Navy Marine Mammal Program, uh, which is called the Mach 5 Quick Find Marine Mammal System. Uh, this is a really interesting program that trains bottlenose dolphins as well as California sea lions to detect, locate, mark, and recover objects in the ocean. Uh, very efficient program, uh, very effective program uh, to detect my sea mines. Uh, lots changed since the 1980s uh, when I ran place sea mines in the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, in fact, a lot's changed since my last time through the Straits of Hormuz in 2001 um, on my second ship as a navigator on a guided missile destroyer. Uh, one of the biggest things is how the Navy has uh, operationally changed the way uh, they go about things from a mine sweeping and mine hunting standpoint. Uh, we have four deployed assets in the region, uh, including eight of these MCM mine countermeasure vessels that are forward deployed out of Bahrain and Japan, um, including uh, the explosive ordnance disposal divers, as well as the MH-53 Echo helicopters and the U.S. Navy Marine Mammal Program, all four deployed, uh, ready to act at moment's notice, uh, and it's something that's changed since uh, you know, the 1980s. Uh, additionally, uh, pretty exciting time in the Navy. Uh, we have all sorts of new assets that have been in development uh, that are just now starting to uh, be changed over. Uh, there's a big migration of mine countermeasure equipment from the MCMs, the mine countermeasure vessels, over to the Latora combat ship vessels, uh, the lar which are a much larger vessel. Uh, there's 15 that are combat ready, uh, including with sensors and robots and laser detection systems and helicopters. Uh, bottom line is the Navy is operationally ready, uh, and it's a pretty exciting time with new technology and platforms coming online. Thank you so very much, Chance, and thank you again to General Tata, Peter, and Rachel for our conversation earlier. And thank you to our listeners for giving us the time. Academy Securities is a service-disabled veteran-owned investment bank with a social mission to hire, train, and mentor military veterans to develop careers in finance. We love sharing the viewpoints of our geopolitical and macro strategy experts. If you have an interest in engaging our experts directly, please email us at info at academysecurities.com. Again, this is your host, Andrew Robinson, and I look forward to sharing more with you soon.